Titus 3, 4 to 7. If not, it will be on the screen. So, But when the kindness and the love of God our Saviour toward mankind appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm going to pray um, real quick. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this message today for our church, even if this is specifically just for one person. We just thank you that you've brought this word to us today. I pray that all of our hearts are open, our our eyes and our ears are open to hear your word. And uh, I just pray that you bless our fellowship today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I've been talking uh, a lot about pursuing God and seeking God. And one thing that Ben said um, a couple of weeks ago was that intimacy is the primary language of prayer because the primary purpose of prayer is relationship. And a couple of weeks ago, it really dawned on me that when it comes to relationships, there's two really key important things, especially in our relationship with God. The first thing is our desire for a quality relationship with him. Our desire to want to know him, to spend time with him, to reach out to him. That's obvious. But the second point that is really important in this is our perception or our thoughts, our understanding of his desire to be in a quality relationship with us. Now, I think we do the first one really well, but when it comes to the second one about accepting the fact that God strongly desires a relationship with us, it's harder to to conceptualise that sometimes. It's harder to accept that. This isn't good. I've got a dry mouth already. <laughs> you know, our modern church culture, not I don't mean our church, but I mean the global church over the past few hundred years, has been really good at developing this kind of ideology that we have to be good people that are judged by our merits by the things that we do and live a sin-free life so that God wants to be in a relationship with us. Because in a relationship, one person can desire the other, but if the other doesn't desire them back, then that's stalking. (laughs) That's that's not a relationship. And it's funny because, honestly, I I think our culture, the way that the world wants us to think about God, is exactly that. That we have to be perfect and live out everything that's written in the Bible so that he can look at us and say, I'm so proud of you, you know, let's let's have dinner together. But the truth is, and when I say the truth, I mean the truth written in God's word, is that good works, being a good person, 
doesn't get you into heaven. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do good things. And I just want to qualify this once and for all, right at the beginning. James 2.18 says, But some will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Now that is important. But I just want to say and make this really clear. That good deeds are a consequence of our faith not the reason for it. Good deeds that we do are a consequence of the faith that we have in Jesus and the relationship that we have. It's missing a slide anyway. I think I've missed a slide here. Anyway. Good deeds are not the reason that God desires to have a relationship with us. You could be the gold standard for Christianity. You could be the poster child for Christians around the world and it would still fall short of the glory of God. And Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith... And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And I already shared that scripture in James with you. I want to say this again. Good deeds are a consequence of the depth of our faith, not a ticket to heaven. They're inconsequential. And I don't know about you, but to me, this is... Good news. This is the good news. You know, somehow we've developed this idea that God somehow punishes us for not obeying him. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Charlotte, for those who don't know, Charlotte's my daughter, she's 11, but when she was learning to ride a bike, you know, I was teaching her how to ride. And I was telling her, you have to be careful because if you fall off, you're going to hurt yourself, right? All good parents will do that. Be careful. If you fall off, you'll hurt yourself. And she decided that she still wanted to ride the bike anyway. So she took off and I pushed her to the ground. Because I wanted her to know that when I said that she would hurt herself that that's a real consequence. So I wanted her to understand that there are consequences for her actions. So I pushed her. <laughs> now obviously, I didn't do that. Obviously, that's not a true story. I would never do that to my child. Of course, there's some worried looks there. <laughs> but, isn't it funny how when things go wrong in life, that we somehow think about God in that way, that when things don't go right, we sit down and wonder why, 
and we start to think about all the things that maybe we haven't done well in life and that this is happening because God has allowed this to happen because we disobeyed him. Am I right? The reality is, if I teach my daughter to ride a bike, I will tell her that there are dangers, but I will run next to her and I'll stay with her and at some point I'm going to have to let her go and at some point she might fall. And when she falls, what would I do? I would run to her and pick her up and hold her and tell her that everything is going to be okay. Am I right? And the Bible says, if earthly fathers give their presents good gifts, imagine how much better gifts our Father in heaven will give us. If I run to my daughter to want to pick her up and hold her, regardless of what she's done, whether she listened to me or not, my main concern will be to comfort and love and hold. And I will, at some point, pick her up and put her back on her bike. And I will let her ride again. And if she falls again, I will pick her up. You know, the, the whole story of the Bible up until Jesus, we, we look at the Old Testament as this kind of, you know, cumbersome story of battles and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. The, the Old Testament is a story of humankind, rebellion, redemption. Rebellion, redemption. Rebellion, redemption. God's people constantly rebel they, they, they deny the prophets and God still saves them and he redeems them until Jesus comes and there's final redemption and we've been redeemed once and for all. And the reason why this has happened is because of this scripture, but according to his mercy, we talked about mercy earlier, back in the Old Testament in Exodus 34, 6, Moses is going up onto the mountain. He meets God up there and God comes down to him and this is God speaking to him. And he passed in front of Moses, he as in God, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. These are the attributes of God that God uses to describe himself. Not a punishing God, not a God who takes joy in seeing his children suffer consequences, not a God who is interested in teaching lessons through punishment, through failure. Now, I say this genuinely, that God does not cause us to stumble. God does not cause bad things to happen in our life. God is not the orchestrator of all good and bad doesn't make all bad things happen to us in our life but the Bible clearly tells us that bad things will happen is that God's fault no it's not God's fault they're just consequences of life the world that we live in and I will say even on top of that if and there's a big if if God does cause something bad to happen in your life It's because he can see the outcome into the future and know that what you are going through now is actually a blessing in the future. It's not to punish you because you have sinned or because you haven't lived a holy and, you know, uh, uh, sinless life. It's life 
or it is part of God's bigger plan, and that bigger plan will only become evident in the future. That word, I love that Jack used some Greek this morning. We're going to focus on that word love. And that word love is the Hebrew word chesed. Say it with me. Chesed. Lucky you've all got masks on. Chesed. Chesed. The Greek word, as it's been translated, is the word mercy, and the Greek word is elios. Now, the reason why these two words are linked is because when they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek, which is called the Septuagint, in case you wanted to know, a couple of hundred years before Jesus came, before the New Testament was even written, they wrote, they translated from Hebrew to Greek, and the Greek word they used in this passage is elios, which we have translated as mercy most of the time. Other times it's translated as loving kindness or loyal love. The word chesed is hard to translate because it's a bit like, it's a, it's a, um, it's a word that kind of describes a situation. We don't have many words like that, but there is a French word that kind of describes the concept of this. Have you ever had that feeling that, you've, that something that's happening has happened before? Deja vu. Now, deja vu is, you know, that word describes a, a, a scenario, something that's happening around you. It's not, it's not easily translatable when you try and describe what deja vu is. This word, chesed, is the same. Love, mercy. But when it comes down to it, there are three key attributes in this. And without all of these three, it isn't this kind of love. It's deep love and affection with generosity, with commitment. And I think it was Linda who said that God is true to his promises. Those three things together, deep love and affection, generosity and commitment, are this love, this mercy. And in our language, when we think about mercy, what do we think about? Say it out loud. Mercy. If we're taking mercy on someone, what are we thinking? Like a judge having mercy on someone who's guilty, right? And they're not punishing them out of pity. I, I take mercy on you. You know, in those movies with kings, you know, they come and they say, please have mercy on me. You know, where someone's begging for a, a person in authority to not punish them, basically. But that is not mercy, particularly from a biblical perspective when we think about God. That is not mercy. There's three things that we get mixed up in all in one. Justice, grace, and mercy. I'm sure you've all heard this before. But justice is getting what you deserve. You do the crime, you do the time. Right? That's justice. We talk about social justice a lot. You get what you deserve. That's justice. Grace is not getting what you deserve. Huh? No. Grace is not getting what you deserve. What we deserve, or should I say do the crime, don't do the time. That's grace. 
we do the crime, but we don't receive the punishment fitting. Now, grace is a word that we use a lot for God, and it is true. We don't get the punishment that we deserve. But it doesn't go far enough in showing the fullness of God because if you don't get what you deserve, you just are here, right here and now. It doesn't go any further than that. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. Are you with me? Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. For example, if someone has been found guilty and there's a billion dollar reward for their capture, mercy would be like that guilty person turning themselves in, claiming the reward and being set free. That's mercy. Could you imagine the news story? If someone who was guilty walked into a police station, got their billion dollar reward in cash and the police let them walk out. I mean, think about that. In today's society, in our understanding of how the world works, it, it would be an uproar. There would be resignations and sackings and ICAC investigations and, you know, it would be on the news 24-7 and the person would go into hiding and then they'd end up bowing to public pressure and giving it back you know, and then doing the time. That's, that is the concept of mercy from a biblical perspective. We get what we don't deserve. Everyone comfortable with that? I know we're saying we are. <laughs> but in my experience, accepting mercy or accepting the concept of mercy in that sense, takes practice. Because it's not natural. When you think about yourself, most of us, most of us, if I say you're a good or a bad person, most of us will say, I'm pretty good. But in the back of our mind will be all these things that we're probably not that great for, that we're not doing good in. Reasons why we don't deserve what God has offered us. Point three, where it says, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And I really like how the NLT says it. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous. And that word has come out a couple of times today. Righteous means to be in right standing with God, to be made right that he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life, that we will inherit eternal life. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified Again, justified means made right with God. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And of course, our favourite verse, John 3.16. Let's all say it together. For God, the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. God so loved the world, all of us, that he gave his one and only son to come to this earth, to hang on a cross in our place, so that we can then collect the reward and live a life in relationship with God. Of course, life is not just about making it to heaven. But in our culture, in our church culture, I will say, there is this thought that if you're not a good person and you're not living every day as a sin-free human, your salvation, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe you will make it to heaven, maybe you won't. Maybe God loves you, maybe he doesn't. Maybe God loves you, but maybe he doesn't. I I can't tell you how passionate I am about this topic If that was true, I would not be here with the privilege of being able to share God's love and affection and his mercy with you today. The truth is, if you knew my life, if you knew my life, you would not be okay with me being up here. That's the truth. If you knew everything about my life, from birth to this second right now, you would not want me here. So the truth is, none of us, none of us, not even Pastor Ben, none of us are worthy of standing in front of God's people to proclaim God's word. But this is, this is God's mercy. I am God's mercy in living form. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve anything I have in life. I don't deserve a loving wife who loves me and accepts me. I don't deserve to still be married. I don't deserve to have a healthy family. I want it, of course, we all want that. But the reality is that God so loved me and he loved you and you and you that God so loved you individually that even if it was just for you that he still would have sent his son to hang on a cross so that he can be in a relationship with you there is nothing and I say this with confidence there is no action that you can ever do in life that will ever separate you from the love of God And Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present or future, any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Nothing in all of creation. Nothing. 
Nothing you can ever do will separate you from the love of God. And that is because in this two-way relationship, us to him and him to us, his view of us never changes. Our view of him changes based on what we think he thinks of us. Have you ever met someone and you thought, I don't really like them? You just get that vibe, right? You ever just looked at someone? You don't know them at all. You just, you just look at them and you instantly don't like them. Everyone here has had that, right? They might have looked at you a bit funny or, you know, they might have said something that got on your nerves. And over time, you end up talking to that person and you find out actually they're pretty cool. They're lovely, right? Now, is that because they changed? Or because your perception of them changed. Our perception of them changes. This is our relationship with God. And I can tell you from first-hand experience. Getting dry today. I can tell you from first-hand experience, as I know many, if not all of you here today can, Now, I have lived my life from the time of giving my life to Jesus to not so long ago. I have lived my Christian life and my life before that trying to be a good person. I try to be a good person. And I know lots of us are the same. Some of us judge our goodness based on the reaction of other people or at least our perception of how people think of us. I've spent my life judging myself based on what I think other people think of me and I've spent my life trying to earn their approval and I've done exactly the same with God. I've tried to earn God's approval. I've tried to earn God's blessing I've tried to earn his love and acceptance. And you know, the worst thing is, when you live your life that way, you will always fail. And you know why you fail? Because you're still looking at it through your own perception. And when our perception of ourselves is that we're unworthy, everything that we see around us will feed back to us that we are unworthy. That's called perception bias. Everything you see in life, regardless of whether it's good or bad, will tell you that you are unworthy. If you've ever found yourself in a conversation with someone saying, can you, know, can you believe they did that? And someone else has said, I didn't see it that way. That's perception bias. You're not seeing things clearly because we're tainted by our own view of ourselves. And if it wasn't for God, that would be fair. I don't know how people live without God, honestly. Because the truth is that God doesn't see me the way that I see me. Amen. Thank God. Because what I do, what I do in life, whether it's good or bad, is not a determining factor in whether or not God still loves me. The word clearly says that by faith, through believing in Jesus as the Son of God, that we are saved. 
And so I can't get into the whole theology of salvation, but there are clearly steps in salvation. We are justified with God, which means we are made right and accepted and okay with God through our faith in Jesus. And yes, there is an, a, a whole other life plus eternity on top of that, which I don't know if anyone's thought about a never-ending life. Blows my mind. If that's our concept of eternity, it might not be the same, but anyway. But we, we lump all of that together. And it's almost like salvation is a daily, a daily recurrence. You know, you wake up every morning, thank God, forgive me for what I did yesterday, help me not do the same thing today. Do the same thing, go to bed at night, forgive me God for doing that, wake up in the morning, thank God for this day, help me not do what I did yesterday, do the same thing yesterday, go to bed at night, forgive me God. Now forgiveness is important, I, I, I believe that. But forgiveness is actually about repentance and repentance is a change of behaviour and again that's got nothing to do with this. Our relationship with God is dependent on how we think God thinks of us. And I'm here to tell you today that no matter what you do in life, no matter what your actions are, no matter how bad you think you are and how unworthy you think you are, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's not the truth. The truth is, is that you are accepted. The truth is, is that you are a son or daughter. We are children of God. And through that relationship, we have this amazing amazing future ahead of us we have the ability to spend eternity in God uh, in heaven with God you are loved in his sight of you you are worthy there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God and that's when we're looking at his perception of us. I, I said that I'd, I'd spent my life that way up until, you know, a little while ago. You know the revelation I had? And honestly, it's, it, it has been one of, the toughest, one of the toughest revelations I think I've had to actually work my way through. Is that God loves me. God loves me. God actually thinks I'm pretty great. And I mean that genuinely. He thinks the same of all of you too. This is not about me. But the revelation I had is that actually God loves me. And he doesn't care what I do with my life. And when I say that, he doesn't care how many good deeds I do. He doesn't care what I do for a job. He doesn't care how I speak at church. He doesn't care about any of those things when it comes to me as a person. He just wants me like I've fallen off my bike. He just wants to pick me up and hold me and love me like a loving father. And many of us haven't had that great earthly fatherly experience and it can be hard to conceptualise that. But as a father, the thought of pushing my kid over so that they can learn some tough lessons in life is ridiculous. And somehow we've led ourselves or allowed ourselves to believe that that's how God operates. It's not the truth. 
God loves you. Yes, we fall. Yes, we stumble. Yes, bad things happen in life. But God is not a horrible father who wants us to learn these tough lessons. He has given us what we don't deserve. And that is an incredible gift that I think all of us can just spend some time reflecting on the fact that no matter what you think of yourself, God sees you completely different. No matter what you think of yourself, God is not wearing the same set of glasses. God doesn't have the same set of eyes. God's vision is perfect. And he sees you as perfect because he sent his perfect son to take our place. So I just want to recap. Our salvation is not determined by what we do. And again, I qualified this before. Doing good deeds is good. It's a, it's a consequence or a sign of the depth of our faith that's important. But it, as far as salvation goes, our salvation in God is not determined by what we do. It's solely and wholly determined by our faith in Jesus as the Son of God. God's mercy is freely given. It can't be earned. There's nothing you can do in all of life to ever earn the mercy that God has already bestowed upon you. And remember that example, like a guilty person walking into the police station, giving themselves up, not only being set free, but also being given the reward for their own capture. It's a ridiculous thought. It would never happen in today's age. That's God. That is God. And eternity, again, comes through faith, not work. The next time things aren't going that great in life, or the next time you feel like, you know, God's trying to send you a message, I would encourage you to really think about where that's coming from. Is that, is that your perception of you, or is that his perception of you? You know, the, the, the one thing that I have learned more than anything probably over the last couple of months, you may not know this because I know on the surface I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very calm and collected. I don't get flustered, you know, <laughs> very often. <laughs> Takes a lot to get me upset. Under the surface, a lot of the times, it's like a tumultuous storm brewing inside of me, waves being tossed to and fro by the wind, this way, that way, constantly in my mind trying to reconcile where, what's next, what's next, what's next, why is this happening, why is this happening, why did that happen, what am I going to do tomorrow, what am I going to do next week, what about my job, I want another job, how am I going to get another job? Constant, constant turning, turning, turning. And I know many of us are the same. Worrying about what tomorrow will bring. And I can tell you that even though it doesn't come naturally, and even though it takes work, and I've had to actually work at capturing my thoughts, like the Bible says, at taking my thoughts captive and replacing those untruths with truths, the peace of God, 
that will wash over us when we stop looking at our life through our own lens and start looking at it through his lens is unbelievable. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I don't worry about what tomorrow brings. But what I can tell you is when that thought pops into my head about what tomorrow brings, I replace that thought straight away with that scripture that says, do not worry. For tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Every day I replace that thought and every day those other thoughts become less and less and the peace of God that I have inside of me grows more and more. Because I know that I'm a son of God. I know that he knows what I need. I know that he knows what I want. And I know through faith that he will give me what I need. And when you're in the middle of a storm, you don't know how bills are going to get paid or there's sickness or whatever life circumstances throw at you. I don't have the answer for that. But what I do know is that the only thing we can do is just worry about today for tomorrow will worry about itself. Life can be easy. Faith in Jesus. Accept his mercy. And when I say accept, I mean make a decision to accept his mercy and take every day as it comes. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you sent your son to die for us so that we can be in relationship with you and spend eternity in heaven. We thank you that you made it easy for us to be in a relationship with you. We thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you view us through your eyes and your lenses, not through our own. And we thank you that your word is true today, just as it was yesterday and just as it will be in the future. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here who feels distant from you because of things that are happening in their life, things that they're doing, the thoughts of sin that creep in, that's, that make them think that they are distant from you. I pray, Lord, that you just give them a revelation that sin and actions are no barrier to our salvation in you. I pray for peace, Lord, in difficult circumstances. And I pray over all of those circumstances that are going on, Lord, that you just pour out your blessing, you show your mercy. In all things, Lord, we know that nothing can separate from us from your love. And we just thank you for today, and we know that you have tomorrow in hand. In Jesus' name, amen.